Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Even before Sony Pictures Animation's Spider Man into the Spider Verse had its huge opening at the top of the box office this weekend. It already earned a near-perfect 97% on Rotten Tomatoes and was named Best Animated Feature by numerous critics groups, including those in Los Angeles and New York. It also earned seven Annie Award nominations for animation, including Best Animated Feature, Directing and Writing, and it's nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature. My name is Peter Parker. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. I saved the city, fell in love, then I saved the city again, and again, and again. But this isn't about me. Not anymore. Ladies and gentlemen. My name is Miles Morales. I'm the one and only Spider-Man. At least that's what I thought. You ever hear the Super Collider? You're gonna love this. Dimension opening now. You're like me. That's impossible. The CG animated comic book style movie features the Miles Morales Spider-Man, voiced by Shamik Moore, and was produced by the Lego movie team of Phil Lord and Chris Miller. It's directed by Bob Paraschetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. Lord and Rothman wrote the screenplay. I'm Carolyn Giardina, and on today's episode of the Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen podcast series, we'll be talking with Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and Peter Ramsey. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporter Behind the Screen. So Phil, Chris, and Peter, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. Thanks for having us. Good morning. So when you were getting started, how did the conversations begin with the studio? They came to us and said, do you want to make an animated Spider-Man movie? We hesitated only because we, we weren't sure how to make it special apart from it being animated. And that's when we realized we could probably get them to do a movie about Miles. And on top of that, we could make a movie that looked like no other animated movie had ever looked. We were like, they'll probably not go for this. And then they said yes, and that meant we were screwed and had to do it. <laughs> yeah, and so um, really it was the idea that we could tell the story that was sort of an update of what Stan Lee and Steve Dicko did back in the 60s with what was really a democratization of a superhero where for the first time it wasn't an alien or a god or a, a billionaire who was a superhero. It was a regular nerdy teenager from a lower middle class family in Queens that made people reading those comics so say, hey, th- I could be a superhero. It could be me. And so when Miles came on the scene in 2011, he really caught fire with everyone, I think, because it was a new way to say the same thing of like, wow, that could be me. Wait, I could be me being that hero. And so the the mission statement of this movie was, Let's make a movie that makes people feel empowered and doesn't matter who you are, how young or old, boy or girl, what walk of life you come from, you can say, oh, I can be a hero and, and I probably should be. We all grew up reading comics and one fun fact is that both Phil and I had a Spider-Ham comic as kids. Whoa. Uh, it's crazy in True the 80s. Fact. 
Uh, neither. I did not understand it then. And still, I'm yeah, still no smarter <laughs> about it now. Yeah, even as a kid, I was like, is this really funny? It's a mystery. <laughs> it's more just a bunch of puns. It's a thing that exists. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I grew up with Spider-Man. Actually, my the first comic book I ever bought with my own money was a Spider-Man comic book. Spider-Man versus the Molten Man. Issue wow. 132. Oh, wow. Yeah, no joke. It's like burned into my brain. Did you have a big stack of comics like are they around somewhere like um, uh the first ones that they might be in my mom and dad's attic like you know probably they're probably just like a pile of like multicolored dust now but <laughs> <laughs> were, were you a uh were you a mylar bag no you know kind of i i kind of tried to be for a little bit oh, but yeah. i'm i'm just too lazy and i would like you know write my name and um yeah. and like oh Read them. I'd actually read them, so they, you know, ended up getting tattered. I was tattered very disrespectful towards really towards comics. Yeah. Oh, I was like an investor. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It was, it it was, was like, like Bitcoin. Yeah. Dad, Dad, you can't do that to the spine. It'll go from mint to very good. That's like I'm gonna lose like two dollars. It's such an unusual thing for a superhero to have alive parents and an intact family that works. And one of the surprises of my career is that it's more interesting to watch people get along than it is to watch them not, because we're so curious how. And I think to see that functioning family that's bilingual, that's from two cultures, figure out how to take good care of their son and to watch this young man try to figure out what kind of person he wants to be, I think that's spectacular. And a great foundation for a really wild story that really needed an emotional grounding. It's kind of funny when you say that about people getting along. And, you know, you're always taught that conflict is the spine of drama. And, yeah, sure it is in one form or another. But what did kind of start evolving with our movie was this idea of cooperation and finding people who are like you and finding commonality. And I think that really became like a real drumbeat at the mm-hmm. heart of this movie. Well, what's interesting to me is that there's obviously a lot of conflict between Miles and his dad, but there's never a question of the love, right? Mm-hmm. The love is always there, always strong. And there's conflict between the dad and his brother, but there's always love there. And it feels to me that, like, if you can have a foundation of love, then it's a great, a great building block to build a, a proper life on. Mm-hmm. In addition to the story, let's talk about the animation process. You did something very different. Peter, do you want to start? From the very start, you know, when Phil and Chris started talking about the project, and soon after that, Bob Persichetti, who was the first director on, their ambition was to create something that really paid homage to the form of comic books in a way that the live-action movies just literally can't. There are a lot of things that comic books give you, a kind of expressivity and a graphic clarity and just an immediacy like a you know it's just you and the comic book page and one artist who drew these images with one person reading them in mind so that aim kind of started manifesting itself and using a lot of the conventions of comics and also the style of animation itself that was more uh, it's more graphic it's a little bit of a throwback to uh how animated films were made back in the 60s, the glory days of Disney, something like 101 Dalmatians, where it's uh, graphic, poppier, more about strong poses and dynamic images. So the way you actually made it is you started in the hand-drawn realm. Philosophically, yes. It's still a CG movie. It has uh, hand-drawn elements on it. 
I think every frame of this movie is touched by the hand of a human being. We've got Sony Imageworks developed a system that we could add hand-drawn ink lines, kind of exactly what you would see in a comic, but on top of the characters' faces to convey emotion, or sometimes there's motion lines. There's all kinds of things that we did to kind of grab the movie out of the hands of the computer and put it in the hands of the animators. You, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned Dalmatians because that's a movie that had a technological breakthrough, right? Yeah. Right? right, which is we're going to take the drawings, the pencil drawings of the animators and get them onto a transparency, onto a cell directly using a Xerox machine. And when you watch that movie, you really feel the tooth of the paper that it was drawn on and you're communicating directly with the artist. So this movie similarly has a technological breakthrough where you feel like the whole movie is an illustration and it's not inked over by somebody. It's like directly representing a single artist's work, every frame of it. Yeah, and it took about a year and a half to develop all the technologies and processes to make it look right. We all knew what we wanted it to feel like. We wanted it to feel like you could see the hand of the artist on every frame, that you felt like you were walking into the pages of a comic book, that every frame, if you paused it, would look like a painting. And the the method of getting there, of having CG animation and 2D hand-drawn animation on top of it, and then completely newly invented shaders and, and lighting and, and textures that would feel like they were dots or hatch marks or, or line works or black shadows or just painterly textures was a process that that was very, very slow and hard and trial and error. And we, we all, when we finally saw a shot that looked like we thought it could, we all got really excited. And the cool thing about it is that it's not just one style, right? There's characters from different dimensions, and each of them are animated in their own style. There's a classic a cartoony character who's a pig next to an anime character, next to a black and white well, noir let, character. Let's talk about all those differences. Mm-hmm. So you had Spider-Man noir, mm-hmm. and which was the toughest one to... Because you really paid tribute to all these different styles of animation. I mean, every one of them was really challenging. Like, f- trying to get Penny Parker, who's an anime-looking character, who is actually a 3D CG character, then rendered in flat anime style and then drawn on top of... Yeah, I think was she was the brand most new, right? Yeah, and, like, she was the one far. that, like, looked... The worst at the beginning. <laughs> she looked so gross <laughs> until the last second. So you would screen the movie for people, and it would be like they're bumping along, and then you would get to her, like, "Oh, what's that?" And, and it literally, right? It looked like yeah, it was terrifying because she just was it like was floating eyeballs. Oh, God. <laughs> she she looked terrible. like a like horrible, like lamp, a lamprey mouth. That's, but right, think, like a human head that had had like the skin peeled off of it. But making Miles and his world look right actually was even harder because, you know, all the, the light sources are all these halftone dots, right? So when light hits the faces of the character, the dots are on their face. But when they're moving around in three dimensions, do those dots travel with the face or do they spin around? Does it look like they have weird acne or does it look like a, a, like a weird strobing effect? It was really hard to get it to look right and have it feel immersive and not distracting. Bob Perzichetti and I would, for that whole first year, we were like, we just want to see what a character looks like standing out in the sun not doing anything. Just give, <laughs> it, just give us that and we'll, it'll be a triumph. You think you're the only people who thought to come here? Hey, fellas. Is, is he in black and white? Where's that wind coming from? We're in a basement. Wherever I go, the wind follows. 
In the wind, it smells like rain. Hi guys! This could literally not get any weirder. It can get weirder. I just washed my hands. That's why they're wet. No other reason. Voice cast, how did you find your Spider-Man? <laughs> well, Shamik was a guy that we had all seen in Dope and we really thought was amazing. And we had met him when he auditioned for something for us a, a few years back and were struck by how much he had this sweetness and earnestness and he wore his heart on his sleeve, but also he had a lot of swagger at the same time and you don't really see <laughs> that combination very often with people. And so he was always sort of our first choice. We did a really long, extensive casting search, but he was the first person we called and the last one. And the rest of them, I mean... Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker was just an email from me to Jake going, hey man, uh, <laughs> do you want to be in a cartoon? He was like, sure. And uh, we put him on tape and sort of didn't tell anybody that there was a new voice in the movie. And we showed it to some of our stakeholders and they were like who's that voice he's uh, amazing we should cast him i'm like oh yeah we did <laughs> <laughs> is that okay um but then with everybody else was like brian tyree henry mahershala nicholas cage john Mulaney, Haley steinfeld we were lucky enough to just get yeah. our first choices we would all talk and then someone would throw out a name and they'd be like what about nicholas cage and we we're like oh that's amazing and then somehow they all wanted to do it so yeah. I remember Mahershala Ali, it was like, oh my God, would he do it? If we could only get him, that would be astonishing. We pitched it to him, and he got really excited about the uh, the whole idea right in the room. And his, his agent was kind of given the, you know, well, let's talk about this. <laughs> he was just like saying, yeah, I need some leverage, or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He's real busy. <laughs> Did you ever have sessions where you were able to record them together, or were they all mm -hmm. done separately? Yes. Especially Jake and Shamik, we did mm -hmm. a bunch, and then you did. I wasn't there for Brian, and, huh. and uh, actually, I was there for a couple of Brian. Remember, and we set up the chairs but, and uh, pretended yeah, they were in the car. Yeah, <laughs> I can't right. tell if that Good made God, a difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool it to have them something. together. It definitely yielded something, even if it was just like getting the uh, the annoyance of a father son relationship. Because <laughs> Brian was going, "Come on, man, Spider Man." I mean, this guy swings in once a day, zip zaps up in his little mask and answers to no one, right? Yeah, Dad, yeah. I love you, Miles. Yeah, I know, Dad. You gotta say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? I wanna hear it. You wanna hear it? I love you, Dad. You're dropping me off at school. I love you, Dad. Look at this place. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. That's a copy. What's so hard is, like, because there's a microphone in front of your face, it's hard to imagine where the person is that you're talking to. Yeah, so maybe exactly. it was helpful that, like, I know I'm calling out to someone behind me right. while I'm facing forward. Right. It, like, changes the way you project. Just the two of them getting to know each other, like, the, the, the whole, you know, that physical bond you have with somebody when you're actually with them. I think it gives you, gives you a, a little more of a sense of the energy. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, we, we love to have people record together because you get all this natural, unscripted, just... Messy stuff. Yeah, messy yeah. stuff. Like, the moments yeah. in between... The fumfers, the, the breaths, and that sort of stuff that makes it feel real and that lets right. the animators like go wild in the spaces right. between and have these little moments of acting that I think 
make it feel like a real performance and not just a canned, uh, you know, piece of machinery. And, you know, our editor and his team, you know, work really hard to keep that stuff in. We don't scrub out those breaths or the weird stutters or hesitations. We leave it all in because it's, you know, that's gold for an animator. Texture, yeah, it's life. Did you already know what the characters were going to look like or did the voice actors to some degree inform the design of each of their characters? Mm -hmm. You know, I think, to my recollection, the only the only one that really influenced uh, the look of the character was Shamik, and I, I think that was mostly because our uh, our lead character designer Shi Yoon Kim, just brilliant guy. I think he was inspired by Shamik's expressiveness. We we had some uh, there were some photos, and I think we had a little video of Shamik recorded as we were doing some of the lines, and Shi Yoon got inspired by uh, some of Shamik's expressions. The guy, he's just a you know he's a super charming guy. So Shiyun said, I'm going to take some of that and infuse it into this character. And the others, I think, I, I, I don't think we really did that. Before. No, there was a lot of observation and photos running around. I feel like Uncle Aaron looks a little like Avon Barksdale from yeah, Mar, right. Yeah, right? yeah. But I don't know if that's uh, intentional. I would, I would think that, like, I think when we were talking about Peter B. Parker as a character, you know, it was really influenced by the idea that it was Jake and what his voice feels like. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I also kept saying, like, it needs to look like Peyton Manning. Right, yeah. Like a guy who's right. just gotten yeah. sacked up, like, yeah. for 20 straight years. His nose has been broken a lot. His, like, a, there's a lot of uh, asymmetry on that, on, on that design. And that goes into, like, how these characters hold themselves, right? Like, Chris Pine's version of Spider-Man is just, like, buoyant. He's athletic. He's, like, an athlete in his prime. And we were like, what happens 10 years when you're just like, man, this hip is never going to get right. It's everything's off center, and that's kind of how we tried to handle Jake's character. Yeah, and that, and but that off center idea, that asymmetry, it started becoming a feature of a lot of the character designs. Just to, just once again, to try to shove the computer out of the way and make you feel like people were making this thing. Was there one character who was particularly tricky to write for? Oh gosh, I mean, everything was hard. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. I think like, you know, dialing in. Miles was an interesting thing yeah, because he has to be innocent and naive and he also has to um, be confident and have some swagger. And I don't know if you can tell from the sound of my voice, but that doesn't come naturally to me. (laughs) (laughs) What came supernaturally was like embarrassed, shy, feeling meek. Well, there's like a lot of responsibility with that character, and you're introducing a new Spider-Man to the world, and you want to get him right. And so I think from top to bottom of the crew of over 800 people, everyone felt like you had we had to, like, what would Miles do in this situation? What would he say? What would he be wearing? What music would he be listening to? How would he behave? And the strive for authenticity was talked about a lot in a way that, People weren't like, well, what would Spider-Ham do here? Is that really true to Ham's character? It wasn't quite the same level of intensity. Right. Miles is like Steph Curry, like like season two or three. Like he's done one State Farm commercial. (laughs) 
but he hasn't won a championship yet. <laughs> He's pumping his fist a little, but not after every shot. And then, and then, uh, and then Peter B. Peyton Manning is like, ah, I've done so many nationwide. Oh, come on, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Doesn't want to eat any more of those stupid chickens. It's all, <laughs> it's all about insurance commercials. Which, which one is this again? Nationwide or another? But I, I wish people and Chris, you, you were talking about it the other day. I really do wish people could have sat in on some of our sessions when we were uh, just going through the design process on Miles and just the, I was so impressed by the, the care and the, like the, the real love that people had for this character and really wanted to present him in the absolute best possible light and the most, with the most kind of fidelity to the, to the source material, you know, knowing that we were creating a new Spider-Man that people were going to have to fall in love with. It's, it was super inspiring. When you sat down with the animation team and said, we're going to do Spider-Man, what was that reaction like? I think a lot of those animators were kind of jumping for joy, especially when they started realizing that the tone that the movie was going to have, that it was going to actually really try to feel like a comic book, which is a good superhero comic book, you know, the way Marvel does it and they really go from comedy to tragedy to melodrama to their little operas, you know, in, on a printed page. And I think for an animator to get to play in a field like that, you know, you can go from really broad to really subtle acting. I think they loved it. When I interviewed Bob a few weeks ago, they said that the two of you, Chris and Phil, really, you know, were behind taking that risk and developing this new look for the animation. Was it a tough sell? Not to the crew. Mm-hmm. And, it, and honestly, we started out with the treatment and went into the big bosses and said, we want to do this crazy movie. And one of the things that was obvious from the jump was that the look was going to be an asset. So folks who make big decisions saw dollar signs <laughs> when they saw the innovation that was you know, proposed. And I think they were naive to how hard it was going to be to pull off. And that I think if we had gone in and said, so we want to spend a year writing computer code so that we can make this, I don't think it would have been a sale. <laughs> um, but it, it was, since we went in and said, what if you had an animated movie that was this epic that you, were, you needed like an IMAX size screen to even take it in and it would make people go back and watch it again and again just to <laughs> understand what they were looking at, they were all in on that. Yeah, it was cool about, so two of the first people that came on board were a production designer, Justin Thompson, who we've worked with before and is an absolute genius, and uh, VFX supervisor, Danny Dimmy, and also equally genius. And they, and they were both really, really excited about the challenge of like, we want something that feels like nothing you've ever seen before. I don't want to know how, it, I want to look at it and go like, I don't know how they did that. And instead of being like, all oh, right, or that's impossible, or you, you want to double the budget, they're like, okay, we have no idea how to do that, but let's figure it out. And then they got really excited when they would make these breakthroughs and on all these different ideas, everyone was stacking on top of yeah. each other about like, oh, we could, for depth of field, we could use chromatic aberration and make it feel like a four-color printing process where things have been, colors been misregistered instead of having things just be blurry because that's not the way it would look in a drawing or painting. And other techniques like that that were developed along the way, everyone just got more excited about trying to do something special and new. But people needed permission to fail, don't you think? Yeah. There was oh, like yeah. A, pro- a learning curve of like, it's, we want Absolutely. you to mess up. Right. Yeah. 
you know, Phil and Chris, their standard line was that the note that we want to give the most is that you guys went too far. So it was always, it was super refreshing to be in an atmosphere where, you know, the, the people who were sort of driving the project for once weren't holding you back. They were kind of like pushing you on and on with like, and sometimes it was cattle prods and whips and it was like, be more daring, be more crazy, be bolder. Be, and we'd be like, man, are you sure you want to do that? We're, we're kind of holding them back for a change. Is it and psychedelic it was, enough? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there were so many details in your animation process. You know, for example, even creating the impression that you're watching it at 12 frames per second. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that part of the development process Well, I mean, too? actually, the way this movie is animated, it's on twos rather than ones, meaning that in a traditional CG film as we know them now, those give you one image for every frame per second, and that's 24 frames. Films used to be animated by hand 12 frames per second. So this is a throwback to that to get more of a, a sort of crunchy, more like a, it gives you just a poppier, kind of snappier feel because your brain is filling in more than is actually it, there. It was perfect is, for the look and the style. It also exactly. gives you twice as long to appreciate every yes, pose, Yes, you right? get those strong comic book poses. And so you're, you're feeling the, you know, somebody's slaving over each frame, each pose, and the fact that it gets represented in a way that you sort of feel and, yeah. like stop motion and or something. What's crazy about it is how much more expensive and complicated it is to actually accomplish that because uh, the computer wants everything to be on ones. Right, and, the ones are free. Yeah, well, they all of like the cloth simulation, hair simulation, all that stuff has been designed to work on ones. So when you know a character's hair is flowing or the ripples of their of their shirt are going, to be able to hold that each frame actually is is trickier to, to write new software for that. When a camera is moving and a character's feet are on the ground, and the camera's moving every frame smoothly, but the character isn't, the point where their their foot is touching the ground has to be altered to so that it actually doesn't look like they're slipping on the ground. It ended up being way more difficult than you might imagine. It was certainly not a which cost gives me some satisfaction. Like I feel comfortable. That it was too hard. Well, every aspect of this was harder. I mean, normally an animator can animate about four seconds in a week. Um, in this movie, they could animate one second in a week because it was not only this very uh, nuanced and stylized animation, CG animation, but then they were also drawing and animating by hand as well. So it was it was a real uh, a real bear. Bob Persichetti, who was really the 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 shepherd on the actual the bulk of the actual animation along with Josh Beveridge, our head of character animation. Those guys like pulled off a miracle. I mean, they really organized, oh, yeah. organized a huge team of dedicated people and got a consistent look. That was just beautiful. And it was sweet and yeah. right. It was funny yeah. and sw sweet, nuanced. And, and so you, we were sitting there going like, I don't know if this like movie's going to work. Are these characters appealing enough? Like, and then the minute we saw the animation, we were like, oh, we're, we're going to be fine. We're going to love this kid, Miles, because the performances are so strong, the physical performances. And Bob was the crazy person who was like, let's do it on twos. You're right. Yes. <laughs> and I, and I was like, going, well, hey, well, let's hold on now. And it's not just on twos. Sometimes it's on ones. Sometimes it's on twos. It's on threes every once yeah. in a while. It's a real... it, the idea was let's be as expressive as we can with a pencil and a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of show where we were like, well, if we don't do it, then no one's going to try this, so why not? 
this is how we want to fail. We want to fail because we took too many risks. Fail big. Not because we were conservative. Now, you had three directors. Was part of the reason because of the complexity of the animation? Or why, why three? Yeah, the ambition was the real thing. It was a thing where we just, it was clear that we needed more help. Along the way, basically, we brought along like-minded geniuses. <laughs> and what's cool about it is that each one of the, of them has their own superpower. It's a little bit like the movie itself where it's a bunch of people coming together with with different skills, but they have a lot in common towards a common goal. And obviously saving the city and people's lives is more important than <laughs> just trying to make a good movie. But the point was that it was such a big, massive undertaking. There's so much new. There's so many different areas that everyone needs to be all at once. The fact that we all knew what the tone of the movie was and what we were trying to go for and we were all rowing in the same direction meant that we could deploy one person off to go record the actor while the other person was in animation, while the other person's in edit, and then another person is is over. But it was so rad because then things would come back and you were like, I wasn't in that meeting, but they did something incredible yeah. and I could just admire it because uh, I don't have to, as a self-hating person, I don't have to <laughs> criticize it now. I could just enjoy it. Were you, either of you guys in the meeting where they said, boys... We're burning the boats. Oh, yeah. I was in the meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that <laughs> was, that meeting? That was I thought that meeting. was the whole movie. That, yeah. was, a, that, was, like a, that was a that was a big Sony meeting where it was like, we were like, so we could use maybe like another year to make this film. Right. And, the, and they were like, nope. The like, release what date does burning stays. the boats mean? It means well, that, that means that you can't go back. Yep, when the Vikings were out exploring the globe. This is how they kept the men from turning around. <laughs> so we uh, we had to finish it. So what was the timetable then? How many years did it take? What uh, in years. total? Well, yeah, four years. We from... started writing four years ago, and and uh, and we really started. Bob right. <laughs> Bob P started about three, three years, ago, years ago, right? But yeah. again, it was a this, year and a half fast. of R and D yeah, really just fast. to get the look of the thing ready, and then a year and a half to make yeah. the whole thing. It was speedy. That's fast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. And that, that's one of the, the speed is one of the thing that kind of like got us all going like, it eliminated a lot of ego and a lot of, you know, any kind of prima donna stuff between us three directors. Well, maybe not any prima donna stuff, but <laughs> um, it eliminated most of that because we just started to see, okay, we have to operate this way in order to make the movie. So we would just kind of like parachute into wherever we had to go at any given moment. And it was, it was, it, we were all always on the move. Right, we were at war. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, actual like fronts. military yes. people. Yes, <laughs> we weren't in a literal war. <laughs> but it felt like figurative. That. Well, you just had, you were just we were in the trench together. Yeah, you know, and you didn't have time to like get mad about this one thing. We had too much to do. The movie was our commander in chief. Yeah. <laughs> Did Stanley see the movie before he passed away? No, unfortunately, you know, when we finished, he wasn't feeling good enough at that point to, to look at it. But we did show him uh, a bunch of the picture, you know, when we recorded him. And you were there, right, Peter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there. We, we showed him uh, some character designs and a little, I think a little bit of footage. And uh, even then, you know, it was just a few weeks after his wife had passed away. So already the scene that we were working on with him had a sort of inflection to it that it gave it a little more meaning at the time. And of course, now after the the movies come out, it's got a, it's taken on several whole other like layers of 
kind of meaning and emotion. But he was the sweetest guy when we met him. He was so, it was, you could really, you could really see the guy that, you know, when I was reading those comic books back in the day and I'd, I'd read Stan's Soapbox, it was this, it was the same person, you know, it was the, you, you literally could feel that spirit and he was a, really into it. You know, the positivity, the inclusion, the mm-hmm. welcoming feeling. It mm-hmm. was, and he was funny. Yeah, yeah. So there's like an irreverence to that stuff. That, you know, tonally, that's a thing that has had to have influenced us. Mm-hmm. I read so many of those darn things yeah. when I was ten. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think that the whole film is supposed to be a tribute to what he and Steve did and his his spirit. And so that's why, you know, when we thought, well, what, what should his cameo be? It should be more than just like a passing. Oh, we passed him by as we went down the street. It should be something that feels integral to the plot and, and really honors his legacy. And so, and so I think that was when we came upon the, the spot where it is not to give any spoilers to those who haven't seen it, but it felt like it was the right thing to do just to honor his legacy. And so I think that's why it, it worked then when when he was still alive and now it's still it, it takes on a whole new level looking ahead will we see more from miles is there a sequel being discussed i hope so what do you yeah. think <laughs> well i mean <laughs> you know uh we've we got to hope that uh you know we're recording this right before the opening <laughs> weekend if people love it and and go and see it and it makes enough money that is that the studio thinks they can make more money then mm. that will be the that will be the deciding factor but really we we've fallen in love with this character and i think there's a lot more to tell there's obviously a giant multiverse shaped hole that doorway that's opened now that has limitless possibilities and i think we're that's just right the hard part this. is going to be about keeping it focused exactly and i think we really fallen with all those characters but especially miles well, it's a fantastic movie. Congratulations. Thank and you. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. Our pleasure. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 